how do you challenge the norms in your niche? For example, do the majority of businesses in your niche say they provide great customer service and you find yourself saying a similar version of the same thing? If that's you, it's time to break free of the sameness and make a bigger impact. And if it's not you, you can't lose by exploring better positioning. In this episode, I share two questions that will help you do just that. And our guest will answer one of the questions and share how she's making her impact. Tune in. Welcome to the Small But Mighty Agency Podcast. If you're a marketer, a consultant, or a creative who's on the journey of growing from solopreneur to agency owner, follow along because I pull back the curtains on the realities of growing and running a scalable service-based business and building a lean team. I'm your host, Audrey Joy Kwan. I know what it takes to build an agency. Whether it's from solo to three, five, or 20, I've done it, including supporting an agency owner to sell and exit. I've coached and consulted over 120 marketers, creatives, and consultants, and I've been behind the scenes of seven-figure businesses. I also have a master's degree in communications specializing in organizational development. All this to say, I know what it takes to grow, lead, and operate a multiple six- and seven-figure small but mighty agency. And here on this podcast is where we'll dive right in. Hey friends, welcome back to the Small But Mighty Agency podcast. It's been a while since we had a guest on this podcast. One of my favorite things to do is share stories. The first time I met Amit, we clicked. She's radically honest about what she doesn't want and isn't afraid to point out the things that bug her. She sees these as opportunities for her business. Today, we're going to explore her freelancer to agency owner story, and you'll get to hear what she wishes people would do more of or less of in her service niche. As you listen to this episode, I encourage you to explore these two questions. Question number one, what is not being said that needs to be said in your industry? And question number two, what do you wish people would do more of or less of in your industry? Why these two questions? It gets you thinking about how and what you can do differently or better in your niche. It helps you establish better positioning and leads to innovation in your agency. It gets you thinking differently and that leads to better and more profitable businesses. Let's get to know Amit Cabra. Hi, everyone. My name is Amit Cabra, and I'm the owner of an online marketing agency that specializes in pay-per-click advertising called Hopskit Media. Uh, I've been in the industry myself for over 13 years and have been running the agency for about, I want to say six years, seven years, somewhere along those lines. I've, long enough that I've forgotten. So... <laughs> I mean, you started as a freelancer and got to capacity. In other words, you couldn't take on more clients without building a team because of the great work that you were doing. And by that point, you had to decide to stay solo or build a team. In other words, grow an agency. What inspired you to go the agency path? A, a mix of a couple things. Uh, one, people telling me that they didn't think that I had it in me to do it. And the other half of just seeing how other agencies were operating and not really feeling like they aligned with my values. So initially, I had started my journey as a freelancer. I actually hadn't set out to start an agency. Uh, it just kind of snowballed into one. And I didn't know how to bring it back. And nor did I really want to at that point. But like, it's one of those things where it's just like, this wasn't this was never the plan. It just kind of happened. 
It's true of entrepreneurs. We see an opportunity and go for it. It reminds me of a quote that's a guiding principle for me. And it goes like this. If you have a chance, take it. If it changes your life, let it. I don't know who said that, but it inspires me to take more chances every day. But speaking of chances, a chance is an opportunity. Seeing and finding opportunities comes from asking good questions. And one of the questions I see you courageously dive into is, what do you wish people would do more or less of in your service niche? How do you answer that question? Yeah. So at the agency, it was client advocacy that really didn't sit well. Uh, so what we would end up having is these moments where the agency would sell hours instead of very specifically, maybe like a, a retainer where hours weren't really counted or something that made sense more on a project base where it's like, if this takes us five hours, great. If it takes us 20 hours, then that's our problem. So when we would stand in our daily meeting, we would constantly be talking about how billable we were the day before. So competition was more on how billable we were versus the quality of our work uh, and what we were doing to help these clients progress. So for someone like myself, who was very return on ad spend driven, it was really hard for me to sit there and be like, oh, I was five hours billable, but I wanted to talk about that one client that I got 24x for, or that other client that had seen a 50% increase in conversions, but a 30% decrease in, in CPA. Those were the numbers that I would rather talk about. And I noticed that that wasn't a thing that actually really happened at the agency. But then the other part of it would be getting asked by like the owner or a stakeholder in the company and being like, oh, can we do this while they're trying to sell to like another client and me being like, no, actually, you can't like, here's the documentation stating that we're not allowed to do this. And then watching them completely disregard it, and then have them tell the client that it was something that we could do just so they can make that sale, and then pretend that they had no idea that it was not possible beforehand. So it was random little things like that, that kind of really like added up for me. And I went, this isn't really it doesn't align with how I operate. Uh, so I had to really effectively just leave. Uh, and then eventually somehow started my own agency. <laughs> right. I speak to freelancers and solopreneurs who might hesitate or resist the idea of growing an agency because of underlying beliefs about what an agency is or has to be. And some of that might be from past experiences. But for you, rather than let it turn you off, it motivates and inspires you to do things differently. That's, And I think that's the power of owning your own business or owning your own agency. Now, an agency is a business model and there are operational things that have to be in play to grow effectively. But how you measure success in your agency and the values are yours, that isn't cookie cutter. So tell me more about what you attribute to your snowball success. I was lonely in the field. I didn't really know very many other PPCers. And even though my community now is significantly larger, I still don't have like a lot of PPC friends, if that makes any sense. Like it's still very small in comparison to like social media content, web dev, which are a bit more, not necessarily mainstream, but their their skill sets a lot more people have, where PPC is always like that the ugly cousin in the background where they're like, let's just stuff you over here because it's, it's numbers based, right? It's not something that a lot of people grew up liking. Math isn't fun for a lot of people. And I would beg differently, but my brain is also wired slightly differently as well. So I had initially just started going to like other meetups, like SEO, social media, UI, UX or whatever, because I knew that they were like parallel to what I was doing, just not necessarily what I do. 
And I just started meeting new people. And I remember initially, everybody would look at me and be like, why are you here? And I was like, because I want to learn. Obviously, you do something that affects my job. Why wouldn't I want to learn more about it? And then eventually, I just became a staple at these events where they'd be like, where is she? Why is she not here today? So as everybody moved off into bigger and better positions and and even owning their own agencies, when it came time for them to start referring work, they they naturally came my way. So when the pandemic hit, it really just put every, it collided both of those worlds, essentially, from, you know, being that person who showed up to the meetups and was uh, willing to give information for free and learn more about them, and less about kind of like telling people what I could do for them. And, and then naturally, just getting all those referrals come in. And suddenly, I had to hire people, I didn't really want to say no, because I mean, I'm a people pleaser to a certain degree as well. So uh, yes, when you own a business, the rate of your personal development has to grow just as fast as your professional growth. And that brings you face to face with themes like people pleasing and imposter syndrome. These two things do come up when I'm working with clients to build their teams. There, There's much to learn and we can't learn it all at once. So we got to prioritize. Share what the pace of growth looks like for you and what areas of personal growth have you prioritized? It's a massive learning. It like, and it's almost like basically how my career st- had started. Uh, Cause I had, I, I started running a business at 19 in event planning. I was spending like maybe about $3,000 a year on advertising just for like selling tickets and all of this other random stuff. And eventually uh, at 22, I decided to close up shop, leave British Columbia, move to Alberta. And then about six months after that, I landed like my first like big girl job basically uh, and I went from that $3,000 annually to $4.3 million. And it was almost like basically overnight. And that learning curve was so steep. And it's almost the same thing all over again, where I went from working on one account to 35 accounts, and then eventually 63, I think is where I ended up at. Same thing here. I went from being a freelancer to having a team of seven. And it, it was it was it was quick. For those of you listening to the numbers and wanting to become more familiar with digital ad space, going from 3000 to 4.3 million overnight refers to ad spend management. And mm-hmm. the more money you manage, the more complex things get. I mean, you managed millions of dollars in ad spend and a team of seven. So let's go to the topic of team. What has been the most significant learning curve getting to a team of seven? It's been a lot of missteps for me. Uh, and I'll never shy away from actually telling people where I messed up just because like, I want everybody else to avoid things. And especially when I talk to my own friends about my own business journey, I've gone through things that they likely will never go through. And it's just, it just feels like it was just like the luck of the draw or however you say that. And I'm thankful that they don't have to go through it, but I'm also a little bitter that they don't have to go through it because I'm like, damn, why did I have to? But in regards to uh, the team, it was, it, it was a lot of missteps. Initially, it was hiring other analysts, and then eventually me pretending to be, or not pretending, but me making myself believe that I'd be a good project manager. I am not at all. Like that organization in that form is not a skill for me. Give me numbers. You want me to take an Excel file with like 30,000 lines in it? I'll sift through it. I'd be so happy. But the moment you're sitting there going, here's a project, now figure out the timelines, my mind blanks out. So there was a lot of missteps in that where I'm like, okay, if I hire analysts, I can manage them because I know how they do their jobs. And then I could be the project manager. And that obviously didn't work. So then realizing 
what your strengths are and where you fall flat in a sense is a really great way to start. So I know I'm not a project manager. So I, that was basically my first hire once the pandemic had hit where I was like, no, I need someone who's going to do the communication with clients who's going to be better at it than I am. I need someone who's going to be able to keep on top of us in terms of deadlines, someone who's going to make sure that reporting goes out when it's supposed to, because I'm like, these are all places where I fall flat, because I get so laser focused on certain things that I forget there's, there's other things outside of it. So then that kind of helped in that way of just building the team and just looking at what our needs were. And now I think with experience, I've gotten better at figuring out where the holes are. I speak to and work with a majority of agency owners who desire to get out of implementation in their business. That would be things like implementing ads. You have a gift of really knowing yourself. You know that implementation gives you joy when you know that and don't let the outside world sway you about how your business should look like. You can build the internal resources for a business you really love. Now, building a great team is a function of knowing your strengths and weaknesses, plus what you love and hate. And that reminds me of an exercise called the four quadrants. Off the top of my mind, I can't remember the name of the person who invented it, but it's a simple and powerful exercise. And you can do it with one piece of paper. Draw a vertical line and a horizontal line in the middle of the page, giving you four quadrants. In the top left square, you write down the work you love and are great at. And then the top right square is the work you like and are good at. Now you have two bottom squares remaining. The bottom left square is the work you don't like but are good at. And the bottom right square is work you don't like and are not good at. In other words, that's the work you delegate immediately. The purpose here is clarity on work that you love, like, and dislike. Plus, knowing what you're good at and not good at over the course of growing your business, the goal is to stay in that top left quadrant, or in other words, stay true to the work that you love and are great at. If you need a way to gain more clarity and don't want to be distracted by what others are doing, I think it's a good starting place. Yeah, and I think it it boils down to being incredibly self-aware. The amount of therapy I've been through is a lot. So I'm glad that it's worked for me in that front where I'm able to sit there and and look at things relatively objectively and be like, what is making me unhappy? Why is it making me unhappy? And then trying to figure out solutions. So for a very long time, obviously, I wasn't like this. So I was doing all these things that weren't making me want to get out of bed in the morning. And then eventually it was one of those moments where I had to sit down and be like, okay, well, if I'm not jumping out of bed and excited to be out of bed, then why even bother getting out of bed? And then the question became, what makes me want to get out of bed? And then it was kind of just like going backwards versus everybody who wants to start with what makes me happy. No, figure out what makes you unhappy. And like, uh, I think a lot of us have this notion of sitting here and saying, hey, you know, if I don't know how to do something, that's somewhat a negative, there's some kind of negative like connotation with us, I guess is the word. I'm not, that's not really the connotation wasn't the word, but like there, you would just automatically assume that there's something flawed about you, but in what world is one person good at everything? And that was something that I learned early on, even in my freelancing career, where I, when I had tried to be all full service, I realized that like this four other facets that we had in there had all fallen apart because I didn't know how to do them. I'm not a website developer. I don't know how to, like, I understand social media, but not to an extent that a a social media manager would understand um, and all of those things. And then the outcome of that was a lawsuit because I didn't know what I was doing. Mm -hmm. 
So yeah, it's kind of one of those things where you have to really like sit there. You can try and fail like I have, or you can kind of look at it and be like, this isn't a negative against me. It's actually a positive for me to understand that this is something that I just don't find joy in or something that I'm just not good at. I love what you said. You allowed yourself to figure out what makes you unhappy without judgment because unhappiness doesn't have to be a permanent destination. Of course, we all want to be happy, but unhappiness is part of the journey. And seeing unhappiness as an opportunity is a concept I think that is often lost. I'm not saying pursue unhappiness, but speaking from personal experience, there is a silver lining. Being unhappy is a sign and the curiosity to explore the sign and the courage to make changes, that leads to growth. And growth is my definition of happiness. Especially as I've aged into my 30s now, it's one of those things where I'm like, what exactly is going to make me happy? And I think the pandemic really put that into perspective as well, because a lot of us sat there and were like, okay, we go into this office nine to five every single day. Is this what we truly want? And we had finally an opportunity to reevaluate our lives and be like, okay, maybe this isn't the path. And that's why we saw so many new businesses kind of come out of the pandemic, because a lot of people were like, no, I love making rugs, or I love making jewelry. Why am I working as a dental assistant when that's not what makes me happy. I got lucky that I somehow found what I uh, am good at, but also what brings me joy at 19. Uh, Not everybody else is as lucky. So I, I think the pandemic, although horrible as it was, was a blessing for a lot of people in that regard. But as I've aged, I've realized that like, this is my forever. Shouldn't I be happy doing it? Like, this whole notion of everybody's like, oh, hustle, you need to wake up at 5am, you need to be, you need to work out by the time it's seven, then you're doing a cold plunge and all of this other random stuff. Like, if it works for you, go for it, please do. But like, that's just not who I am as a human being. Mm -hmm. That's not the type of leader I ever wanted to be is like waking up at 6am and grinding it out. Like I love my sleep. And but that's also something that I communicate to my staff where you know, one person is in India right now, and he goes to school in the morning and then works for us at night. And oftentimes, he'll be up until about one or two o'clock in the morning. And I literally have to like scream, message him on Slack and be like, can you please just go to sleep? Like, you're no good to me if you're not good, like you're not healthy. And I've learned that myself in my own business multiple times where I've pushed myself far too far, and then wasn't able to move for like a week or I unfortunately crashed a car at one time because I was like so tired that I, I, I'm quite certain that I passed, like fell asleep for like two seconds or something like things that could have resulted in me not being here today. And that really kind of gives you a little bit more perspective too, where you're just like, oh, this is actually no one at my funeral, as morbid as this is going to sound, is going to be talking about how great of a PPC specialist I was. Like, it's not going to happen. No one at like, even at Jeff Bezos is like, uh, funeral no one's gonna sit there and be like oh my god he was such a great like originally a great bookstore owner and then transitioned into this they're gonna talk about the person that he was right so when I sit there and I think about that I go okay what do I want people to say about me and yes I want people to acknowledge that I was smart and that I was accomplished and that I did things but also that I took time out for them that I actually gave them my time so if that's a core belief of mine why would I not do that in my business so with clients and stuff like that if Idris is having a hard time, like our sales director, I'll jump into the calls as much as I hate being in calls. I'll do it. And I'll sit there and I'm like, let's have a conversation about this. Let's talk about what the issues are. Because I don't want anybody to ever feel like they just pay an agency to do the work. 
but they're paying an agency that doesn't care. Because that's what it felt like at the other agency. It was just, we we cash our check and then we're out the door. And that was never, never a thing. So we spend a lot of time building those relationships with our clients. And sometimes it doesn't necessarily work out for us the way that we want to. We almost create the monster. But at the same time, we're able to have more frank discussions. We're not, I don't walk into a meeting scared that I'm going to say something wrong. Because I already know that our clients already understand that about me. Yes, so many yeses. There's a difference between good advice and wisdom on growing a business from someone who's done it before versus advice on who you should be in your business. I was nodding my head over here and laughing when you started to describe this popular idea of mm-hmm. waking up at 5 a.m., working out by 7 a.m., doing cold plunges and so on. That's what I consider advice on who you should be in your business. These types of generalizations forget one thing, Mm -hmm. and that's individualization. We're made differently. And the gift of being a business owner is that you get to individualize who you want to be in your business. And that's true freedom. I mean, as we wrap up here, what keeps you motivated and inspired? A couple of things. We're kind of working on a couple of things. Uh, The agency is obviously, not obviously, but is something that I do want to grow now more than ever. I think I finally have a team that I feel very, very confident in. I feel like people that are in the positions that they are in are in the correct positions. There's still a little bit of work to do in regards to like what that looks like for me, because as much as I love ad buying and, and doing that, it really does go down to the fact that like, I have to be the face of marketing. Like that's just how I unfortunately branded the agency or fortunately depends on how you see it. Uh, so I need to start making more of an effort on the the marketing side. And it's not something that completely brings me, but like it doesn't completely make me not want to do it or makes me unhappy in any way. It's just not something that I like wake up in the morning. I'm like, yes, we're going to record reels today. But I love being part of that pro like that process, you know, like it's just a lot of fun to to be like, okay, what's the thought process? What are we going to do here? Get involved in that. And then actually getting my team more involved. So I get Idris to do some, I'll likely be getting our Facebook manager to add in some some content and stuff like that. And then that way everybody else is involved, but it also feels like their project. So even as contractors, they feel like they, like Hopskip Media is their agency in that sense. Like this is their home. And that's how I've always wanted everybody to feel is because I hate that whole cliche of like, we were a family. It's gross. It's agencies that want to underpay people. We're family. So like, I can totally screw you over. That's just not how I am. But at the same time, I chose my family for the most part too. So my situation personally is completely different than what most people are. So when I get to say your family, it's because I chose you to be my family. Uh, so that's kind of really kind of the culture that we're trying to create in Hopskip Media right now. And I want to continue focusing on that. But then also automating a lot of our, our tasks is a big one. And then adding in a couple other things. So like possibly we're possibly talking about starting a podcast and restarting our YouTube channel. So that way there's more education out there. I love teaching people about PPC. It's like the best thing ever uh, <laughs> without getting too dorky about it. But then also like maybe a membership where like people can actually come in from the PPC community who feel lost and alone like I did. And then at least they have people to bounce ideas back and forth with in case something actually really happens. So random little things like that are kind of on the docket. I don't see agency life changing anytime soon. Uh, Hopefully growth is uh, on the plan, but uh, there's only so much of that I can control. So that's my long winded answer to your question. (laughs) 
it's not long-winded at all. In fact, it's very transparent and I appreciate that. And I'm sure those listening right now appreciate it too. Amit, where can people find you online? Yeah, so you can uh, sign up for our newsletter on hopskipmedia.com. So we do uh, about, it's like, our aim is to do it every every week. We don't really do it right now just because we don't feel like there's a lot of content out there really to talk, well, more to be talking about. A lot of the conversations are around chat GBT and we're kind of letting it have its time and then letting clients figure out what they want to do there or even potential clients to figure out. But then we'll add in a little like update on like, here are some podcasts that we listened to that were fr- freaking amazing. You should check out. Here are some blog posts that were amazing. Here's some content that we did. The channel that we use the most is Instagram and I'm at AdWords Girl on there. And that's where we will post uh, content in, in terms of education, but also just like kind of funny reels here and there. My stories, I'll do a weekly AMA. So if you've got questions about PPC, mm-hmm. this is your moment to ask it. My DMs, I'll always answer questions too. I'm like, just like the comment that I get from a lot of people is just like, you're the only person who responded. And I'm like, that's usually typically how things go for me. Like I'm usually the only person who's willing to to take that time. And even though I know that relationship might not turn into a client, I don't know if I care enough without sounding a little bit of like a, a jackass about it. It's just, I love when people understand things better. And especially with something that's as complex as PPC, if I'm able to make it a little bit easier, I want to. Uh, so Instagram is a really great place to learn more if you, um, if that's what you want to do. Thank you, Amit. I'll see you soon. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Hey there, thanks for hanging out with me at the Small But Mighty Agency podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to me if you hit the follow or subscribe button in your podcast app and share it with a friend. I'll see you on the next one.